Welcome to another episode of This is the Author in Conversation, a more personal behind-the-mic chat with our authors in the audiobook studio. In this episode, we invite you into the sound booth with entrepreneur and business strategist Mike Michalowicz, author and narrator of The Pumpkin Plan and Fix This Next. Starting, maintaining, and reinvigorating a business isn't simple. But in both The Pumpkin Plan and Fix This Next, Mike Michalowicz explains systems that every business person and entrepreneur and employee can put into place to draw more satisfaction and more success from what they do. Listen in to hear Mike answer questions submitted directly from his readers and expertly read in the studio by his audiobook director, Scott Cresswell. Learn about Mike's recording process, how The Pumpkin Plan has evolved over its 10-year history, and how Fix This Next came to be Mike's hub book. Plus, discover Mike's most productive writing spot. His answer will definitely surprise you. Enjoy. Hey, Mike McCallowitz here with a little bonus. I'm sitting down with Scott Cresswell. He is the director for this production, and there's some questions that came in from readers. He's going to share the questions, and I'll share the answers. Mike, a reader said, I want to implement the ideas in the pumpkin plan, but fear my employees will resist. What do I do? Yeah, I think I think that's the ultimate entrepreneur's dilemma. I know when I go to conferences, well, I suspect when I go to conferences, my employees are back at the water cooler saying, when Mike comes back, it's going to be a tsunami of ideas. Just grab onto something, hold on, the tsunami will pass. And uh, sure enough, I come back with all these ideas. I'm like, we have to do this, we have to do that. And within two or three days, I return to my normal self. Well, that may be what your employees are experiencing right now. You just read the pumpkin plan, and they're like, oh gosh, when you come back to the office, it's going to be this storm of stuff. So first of all, realize that that's what they're anticipating. The key to navigating that is not to overwhelm them with a tsunami. It's just to drip in ideas. Start off slowly. And I strongly suggest start off with the assessment. Have them engaged in that. Don't take the next step right away. Just assess together. Let that sit and settle. Then you move on to the next step of the pumpkin plan and then the next step after that. It's all about rolling it out slowly. Another approach, too, is you can always have an outside party. So if you want to look at a strategist to help you, that's not a bad idea because that's someone that's going to hold you accountable to seeing the results and can also navigate the oddity of having employee conflict with the boss. Mike, you mentioned a pumpkin plan strategist. What is that? Uh, pumpkin plan strategists are experts who have become certified in the pumpkin plan process. These are typically established business coaches, but some of them are accountants, some of them are in other professional fields, and they've become certified in the pumpkin plan, which meant they went through the rigors of advanced training far beyond this book and have passed an annual certification that they must maintain. They are positioned to help you with these strategies. Kind of like if you go to a gym, you can work out on your own, and this book will guide you to do that. But if you want that additional help to make sure you're doing the exercises right and building the most muscle, use a trainer. And that's what a pumpkin plan strategist is. So if you want to look into this, using a pumpkin plan strategist as a resource, or maybe if you want to become one yourself, you can go to pumpkinplanyourbiz.com. That's where I have all the information. How long did it take you to write the pumpkin plan? A pumpkin plan was actually probably the fastest I ever wrote a book. It took about three years because a lot of these strategies I had already used in my other businesses. So 
I knew the processes, I just had to extract it in writing. My other books on average take about five years because I also have to put the research in, get the test results from clients that have implemented it. So Pumpkin Plan, I did test on other companies. I had done it for myself, which speeded things up. And three years later, it was done. How has the Pumpkin Plan changed over the years? The essence of the Pumpkin Plan hasn't changed much. And this recording is 10 years or so after the initial print. But this system, I have made simpler versions of it. I do a lot of public speaking, and the Pumpkin Plan is a popular topic. So that client assessment, I've made it in a version where there's only three assessment components. Revenue, always sort by client revenue. That's how they show their appreciation for you. Secondly, the crush cringe factor. Do you love them? Do you hate them? The last one is industry interest. When you identify the industry they're in, how intriguing is it to you? Because if you love the industry you're serving, well, then you're going to be compelled to learn more. If you have a disdain for the industry you're serving, maybe you're not going to learn more. So that's the most distilled version I came up with. Additionally, the congregation points have changed. So you can hear, as I read this book, some of these references get kind of old. Podcasts are much more popular now than they were when I wrote this 10 years ago. So there's always new congregation points forming. That's one thing that's changed a lot in the pumpkin plan is people aren't reading blogs as much as podcasts. Magazines aren't as popular as, you know, meetup groups or something like that. So just look for new congregation points. That's the tip on exploiting that. You talk about immutable laws in the book and listed off a few. Do you have any personal favorites? I have an absolute favorite. It comes from Armando Perez. He owns a company called Hoosier Security. And the immutable law he has is corners have rights. And it's just a funny but powerful concept. He says that corners hold up buildings. And therefore, we will never cut corners because the entire structure could collapse. They install security systems, and that's the exact security company I want. I want Hoosier Security because they're not cutting corners. What a great immutable law. Which translation of the pumpkin plan was the most unexpected for you? Yeah, so there's a lot of international translations. There's about 10 for the pumpkin plan. My other books, like probably first maybe 20 or 25 now. It's interesting, as more translations come about, they get more remote, if that's the word, like Estonian for Profit First. But the pumpkin plan, I remember it came out in Thai, and uh, I actually get emails from people in Thailand that are using it. Also, it's in Russian, and that's funny when you're getting emails from Russia because Russians use a different alphabet than the Germanic alphabet. So <laughs> I don't speak Russian except for Privyet and Da Niet. It's just funny to get communications from throughout the world. And I do respond to all the communications. So when I get something in a foreign language, I learn a few words and I'll send a video. So to my Russian friends, I will say, and then I'll go on to say, I have to do the rest in English. How are you? Thanks for reading the pumpkin plan. Plus, Google Translate is good for written communication. How long were you a part-time writer before you became a full-time one? I was never part-time. I went in full-time. So I started writing, I want to say it was 2008. I think that's when the toilet paper entrepreneur came out. And I went in full-time. Now, I still run businesses. I have four active businesses. And when I say I run them, I'm a shareholder in them. I am not the active president running those companies. For Profit First Professionals, my business partner, Ron Saharian, leads that. For Pumpkin Plan, the Pumpkin Plan strategists, that's Donna Lyons who's running that. Even my own brand, the MM brand that encompasses the books and so forth, Kelsey Ayers is now running that. But I do have an investment, I'm a shareholder, in many cases, a majority shareholder of the business. But I'm a full-time writer. That's my job. 
and I love it. How many hours a day do you write? Well, during the off-season, which I consider myself in right now, where I'm working on new book concepts, usually about an hour a day, I'm doing what's called writing sprints. It's a group of other authors. We get together at 6 a.m., and uh, for an hour, we just write. It's a Zoom conference. We all connect, and the leader, who's Anjanette Harper, my co-writer, she'll just bark out the command, all right, put yourself on mute and start writing. And we crank away for about 20 minutes, take a break. Then we start up again. We do that repeatedly to fill up an hour. And it's unbelievable how much work you get done when you're doing it with a batch of people, even virtually. In the on-season, that's when I start cranking up to about four hours a day of writing time. When I'm on an airplane, I will probably write for sometimes up to six or seven hours the entirety of a flight. On that note, do you have a favorite writing spot? Yeah, I do, and it's airplanes, which is kind of crazy. I I find writers, you know, they find a, a cabin in the woods. They have their favorite room in the house, and they have a nice coffee. For me, it's the... I don't really like the middle aisle seat, but sometimes it's crunched in a middle aisle seat between two people because I don't want to look anywhere except for at the screen. And I just put some music on my headset and I just crank away at writing. Now, I don't want the middle aisle seat, but I love working on airplanes. That's when I get the best writing done. In fact, my latest book, which is Fix This Next, I think about 70% of that was written flying to Australia, to Europe, to Mexico, and all throughout the United States. What are your favorite books? Oh, I, I could list books for hours, I think. So here's the ones that come top of mind. E-Myth, classic by Michael Gerber. It's all about systemization of businesses. Purple Cow, that's by Seth Godin. Influence by Robert Cialdini. Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Moonwalking with Einstein, something you maybe I didn't heard of, but it's about memorization techniques. It was just a really powerful concept. And I learned how to memorize a ridiculous amount of things, never realizing how easy it is. That book taught me about the power of systems. We think we can't do things, but we can, like memorizing like a hundred different things. And for sure, my favorite books are anything, absolutely anything written by Malcolm Gladwell. What is your favorite childhood book? Hands down, it's Pickle for a Nickel. This is a book that my father read to me. He'd come into my bedroom when I was ready to go to bed, then would ask me what story. I wanted him to read to me, and I always chose Pickle for a Nickel. It's like my favorite childhood experience with my father. And after he'd read that story, I don't even recall what the story is about anymore, he would kiss me on my forehead, and I'd go to bed. It is a great memory for me, great experience with my father. Your author website is different than anything I've ever seen. Tell me about it. Yeah, if you visit my website, you'll experience something that's pretty different, and I invite people to check it out. The reason I did this is I truly believe better is not better, different is better. So what I did is I looked at all the standard existing author sites out there, and I did the 180 technique from the pumpkin plan. I made it radically different. So if you go to my website, which is mikemichalowitz.com, which, oh, already is not a 180 because everyone uses their name. So you can go to mikemotorbike.com. It's my nickname in high school. mikemotorbike.com, and it rhymes. And it'll bring you to my site, and I think you'll experience something you've never experienced on a author site. It's just different. And I found it engages people. It's polarizing. So you scroll around it and move, and you start seeing what happens. Either you're going to get it and love it, or you're going to have a little repulsion toward it. And by the way, if you're repulsed by it, go to the very bottom right side corner of the website. There's an option there that says, I can't stand Mike, and that's where you should go. Mike, 
What did you edit out of Fix This Next? When I produced the Fix This Next system, it was over five years and multiple iterations. And I think the biggest thing that I edited out was out of the system itself and then subsequently out of the book. If you look at the BHN, the Business Hierarchy of Needs, you'll see on the left side, there's the get stage and then the give stage, right? It speaks to the first three levels is getting and the last two levels are giving. On the right side, I used to have another component was what would drive us up the business hierarchy of needs and what would pull us down. And I believe that the stronger your purpose is, that it pulls you up to legacy, to creating something that has permanent impact. And that ego was something that pulls us down. Ego in the negative context of comparison. Because you have to have more sales or more profit to be able to compare, so it keeps pulling you down. But what I realized, and this was partly with my editor, Kaushuk, and Kaushuk came to me and said, well, the get and give or the give and get, they speak to purpose and ego. So if we want to give, that's much more purposefully oriented. And if we want to get, that in part can be ego-driven in comparison. And with the mission to simplify this, we just took it out. So purpose and ego was pulled out. What size businesses does Fix This Next apply to? Fix This Next was designed really to cater to small businesses, but there's three ranges of small businesses. There's big small business, companies that are doing between $10 and $25 million of revenue. There's medium small business, $2 million to the $10 million point. And then there's small, small business, which is $2 million or less. But because the hierarchy of needs speaks to all business, quite frankly, this applies to the biggest players in the world. So GE or Amazon, those companies too are living within the hierarchy of needs. And so are micro entrepreneurs, like where it's a brand new startup of one person that just started yesterday they too already are living within the business hierarchy of needs. Does writing energize or exhaust you? Um, (laughs) It's probably a combination of two. It does energize me, but it can be exhausting. Writing for me is a labor of love. I love the experience. In fact, six o'clock this morning, I was up writing again. I do these sprints now with my writing partner. Her name's AJ Harper. She's extraordinary. And we work together on these projects. I do a lot of the writing for the books. I come to her with the writing I've done and the concepts I have, and then we discuss it, then she refines it, and then it goes back to me, and I write further, and then she writes further. These books go through five or six iterations. So I just read to you and fixed this next. That was the, I think the sixth, maybe in this case, even the seventh iteration of going through the entire book. Therefore, this process is long. It takes me about five years to write a book, from the initial research and concept and thesis to testing, documenting, writing, rewriting, and rewriting yet again. So this process is a labor of love. I love to write books. I think they're the most important part of my life's work. Conversely, it is a labor. It's hard for me to write. I don't consider myself an efficient or effective writer. I have to write the same sentence 10, maybe 15 times over to really get it nailed down, but it's worth the effort. So it's exhilarating and it's a little bit exhausting at times. How did you feel about reading Fix This Next for audio? I loved reading this book. It gives me so much joy. One of the big benefits is I get to add the stuff that was ultimately edited out. Not because it shouldn't have been in the book and not because it was bad stuff. It just was too much stuff. But in the audio, I have the ability to add some of it back in. So as I make those comments and share those kind of riffs with you, it's because it's stuff I documented and wanted to share with you. Other times, it's just insightful moments. Now, the other thing that I don't necessarily love about the book the poor team that's working with me. So Scott and Kelly are working here today. There's an editorial team 
that's going to go back and take this stuff and put it all together. I feel sorry for them. For me to read a book that takes about eight hours you know, of listening time takes me about 12 to 14 hours of reading time. I have to reread the same sentence sometimes like 10 times over. So it's a little bit tough on the team here, but it's the only way I can bring the energy necessary to emphasize, to highlight, and to deliver the book the way I think it needs to be delivered. That's why I read all my own books and don't use a professional voice, albeit they sound very professional. They don't know why I wrote what I wrote. That's why I read it. I'm not an efficient reader, so sorry to the team. I appreciate your work, and hopefully the end product for you is excellent. What other authors are you friends with, and how do they help you become a better writer? You know, it's funny. So, you know, you got to be careful with that term friends, like hang out and have a beer together type friends versus colleagues or business acquaintances are two different things. So when I use the word friends, it's a little bit nebulous. It can be the mix of things. But one of my closest friends in the business writing space is Don Miller. He's the type of guy I would crack a beer with. Actually, I'm heading down to his house. He's in Nashville two weeks from now to hang out, and we share best practices. He, by the way, is one of my favorite authors. His writing's excellent. His delivery's excellent. His presentations are excellent. And his content is true. He cares so much about his audience. So Don Miller, John Gordon, we're getting together in a few weeks too. He is the author of Energy Bus. Chris Gelibo, I just spent some time with him on the phone. He has a brand new book coming out called The Money Tree. He's also known for the book called The Happiness of Pursuit, which by the way, I think is one of the best book titles ever. I am jealous that he came up with that one. I want that one for myself. Hal Elrod, The Miracle Morning. Ryan Holiday and I are getting together. He's the ego is the enemy author. John Rulin wrote a book called Giftology, which is a really game-changing book. So those are some of the folks that I'm hanging out with and have different degrees of personal friendships with, but I'm friendly with all those guys. Also, the kind of long-term authors I've known since I became an author, Michael Port wrote a book called Book Yourself Solid. I consider him one of my closest confidants. He and I were speaking yesterday. It's not too abnormal for us to speak a few times a week regarding different business matters and books. And Barry Moltz, the guy wrote Bounce, Bam, I mentioned it in this book. I got to tell you something about Barry Moltz. He is a mensch in the true definition of the word. He is a giver. When I wrote my first book, The Toy Paper Entrepreneur, I didn't really know how to get endorsements, and that's something that you quote-unquote have to do. So I sought out endorsements, and I got rejected by pretty much everybody. This one guy, Barry Moltz, who I reached out to, I said, would you endorse my book? He said, I got your back because I support any author. And he supported me before I had even written a book. And I feel this reciprocal desire to be of support to him. He's an extraordinarily good person, has supported me for so long, and I hope to do the same for him as he pursues his future authorship endeavors. So that's some of the people I know. Do you want each book to stand on its own, or are you trying to build a body of work with connection between each book? The answer here is kind of yes and yes. Yes, each book I write is designed to stand on its own. It's an entire system. And the idea is when someone reads my book, they can implement it and never need to seek out further consult. They don't need to speak with me. They don't need an expert. They can just do it. Now, if they want to dig deeper and are struggling to do it on their own, I've set up a network of experts to support my books, and I highly recommend them. But I made the books be their own body of work. These books, while they kind of fit together like a jigsaw puzzle, they all stand on their own. So the answer is kind of yes and yes. Now, fix this next, this book we just went through together, this is the hub book. If you don't know what your biggest challenge is, this is a book that will help you identify it so then you can apply the solution that I write about in my other books. Or if I haven't written about it, there's these other fabulous authors who have written solutions. But my intention is for Fix This Next to be the hub book. Supposedly, there's a parody book of Fix This Next called Drink This Next. 
What is that? I don't admit or deny its existence, but theoretically, if it did exist and you knew what the website was that went by that same name, the passcode to get in might be Mike Motorbike. What did you do with your first advance? You know, that's actually an interesting question. So my first book did not come with an advance because I self-published. My second book, which was called The Pumpkin Plan, that had an advance. And every book I've published with my publisher, which is the portfolio imprint of Penguin Random House, has come with an advance. And what I do is I use the profit-first system. So I consider that business revenue. And it goes into an account called a drip account. And because advances are a one-time tranche, and it's money to cover you until the publication and subsequent sales of the books, we slice it up into about a year, even two years of installments. So say the advance was $12. Well, we carved it up into one year, so it'd be $1 every month coming out and going into my income account. So yeah, I live by profit first. And advances are simply another form of income. It has to go through the profit first system for me. As an entrepreneur, what would you choose as your mascot or avatar or spirit animal? This one's easy. It's clearly Phoenix because, man, us entrepreneurs, we get burned out, we get crushed, but we rise from the ashes. So hands down, it's the Phoenix. What's the best way to market your books? That's kind of a loaded question, but I'll tell you this. The best way to market anything is to do what no one else is doing. I believe that better is not better when it comes to marketing. Different is better. So when you see me promote my books, you likely will see a different approach every single time. Now, that being said, there is a baseline of things that work. So there's a simple rule in business. What's working, keep doing. What's not working, don't do. I mean, it's really that simple. So there's certain marketing principles for promoting a book that work, and I continue to do that. But I'm always experimenting with new things that no one else has ever done. And that is how I stand out. What is your next book? Well, I'm actually working on four concepts right now. So one of them is about how employees can act like owners. How do we get that out of them? What do we need to do as owners of a business to get our employees to act the same way we do? Another book concept I'm working on is just powerful marketing techniques. I'm this premise that better is not better, but different is better. I'm working on another book on business partnerships. They're very common. They often start off with this great aspiration. You know, we're going to crush this together. And years into it, we hate each other. How do you navigate that and have a strong partnership that does have conflict? You need conflict to have new ideas be generated and to move the business forward under common ground. But how do you navigate it where both sides are winning and the company, of course, is winning? And the last book I'm working on right now is just the selling process of a business. How do you take your business to exit and dictate a premium and have it continue on the way you intended it to continue on? So those are four concepts I'm working on. I don't have the one nailed down but I do listen acutely to what my readers are saying. So if I get a lot of emails asking about a specific topic, I start leaning toward that. All these books are probably about two or three years into their research, and I'll continue to actively research them. And uh, within two years of today, maybe a little bit sooner, another book should be out. Thanks so much, Mike. Scott, thank you. This has been a total joy. I really appreciate you asking these questions, but also just doing this book production with you. You just have a personality that makes it a fun, joyous experience. So thank you to you, sir. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, 
visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash next listen.